This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Super wild card weekend indeed. Six investment opportunities. I've got a couple I'm really loving today. Hey, it's Mac with the Danny Mac podcast. Thanks for giving me some time today. I've got a fun little NFL bag for you today. I think you're going to like some of this. Roquan Smith gives the middle finger to all of us who thought he was an idiot for representing himself. I'll get to that new contract. NFL coaching carousel, of course, producing the same old names. Uh, Bring out the retreads. Good luck, Carolina, if you're going to give the job to Frank Reich. I'll describe why in detail I feel that way. We have an anniversary today of the most impactful football game ever played. I will address that, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll get to some other NFL nuggets. Um, uh, an assassination, perhaps, attempt verbally anyway, of former Chicago Sun-Times columnist Jay Mariotti. Uh, a weasel's weasel, and he proved that this week with his column uh, on NFL slash ESPN integrity on in the wake of the DeMar Hamlin tragedy. And by the way, all is going well now. He's probably going to be present, even though it might be briefly, at the Bills playoff opener this weekend. I am excited about what the Bears have in front of them. I'm not going to lie about that, but there are some things already with four months to go before the NFL draft almost, things already that are just getting really, really tiresome. When you examine the potential uh, moves Bears GM Ryan Poles can make, it's just so, when you have the number one, uh, it's so plentiful what you can do with that. And there are a lot of scenarios, but I think it's verbal masturbation really to go over the needs of other clubs who might be in a position to trade with the Bears because everybody would like to trade with the Bears, I assume, to get the number one. Uh, whether a team's willing to part with four number one picks down the road or in this year's flip included, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of ways he can go with this. The ball is in his court. He is sitting in the pole position right now with the one. And you get the one by being bad. And that has been dismissed way too much for my level of satisfaction since the Bears wrapped up the season, uh, getting crushed by Minnesota this past Sunday at Soldier Field. Um, 
there's there's no way Ryan Pauls can screw this up, really. Uh, I suppose he'd make a lot of people angry. Uh, Justin Fields Nation would be all upset if he did draft a quarterback with that first pick. I think you have to absolutely examine the possibilities of doing that. You ask yourself a, a very critical question here. Justin Fields, very young man, only in his third year in, in this coming uh, season for the Bears. Do you think he's better than the best quarterback in this year's draft? Do you think he projects as a better star uh, than anybody? Bryce Young, it doesn't matter who it is. Whoever is in the conversation for being worthy of drafted at the top, the the only question you have to ask if you're the Bears is, which is a better option for me? Which Which guy gets me closer in two or three years to vying for a Super Bowl opportunity? And that's a lot tougher to uh, t- to give than you would expect because Fields, according to some, already has arrived as an elite passer. I don't know where they're getting that. Maybe I'm reading different stats than they are because stats don't lie, and the the excuses are 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 voluminous. I get that, and they're all accurate, but they're still excuses. That doesn't change what, you know, they don't have any receivers. They got a crappy offense. Yeah, those things are true. Still passing-wise, the Bears are light years uh, away from everybody else. And did you know that light years is a measurement of distance and not time? It's true. You can look it up if you want to. Um, (laughs) the, The Bears may have news. When I get with you on Monday, if you're here for Monday's podcast, we we may have another name or two. Maybe even if we're if we're fortunate, um, lucky to have the name of the president, the next president of your Chicago Bears, with Ted Phillips retiring after twenty four years, three playoff wins. In case you have forgotten, I like to point that out. Anytime Ted's name comes up, oh yeah, the guy who couldn't beat the Packers in his last seven years, the guy who's you know way more business savvy than he is people savvy likely to be Kevin Warren. I think most of us believe the Big Ten commissioner is not only well-equipped, he, he's, he's got the personality traits that are requisite for the job. Things Ted Phillips did very poorly, people skills, being able to relate to people. I'm told Warren is is very presidential in that in that way. And you could say, okay, he's a, he's a phony. Well, you you have to put on the face when you're fronting a huge outfit like the Bears, or if you're the Big Ten commissioner, you you have to be a bit of a salesman. And maybe it's not genuine from time to time, but you got to do it. You you got to do it. And the best I know who who've ever done that role were capable of being a politician and also do their job effectively. John McDonough's name comes to mind and that he's been suggested as the perfect successor (laughs) for Phillips. And it's funny because it would be greatly timed again for Johnny on the spot. McDonough arrives as Cubs marketing director right around the time Wrigleyville is mushrooming into the place to be in Chicago. At the same time, Harry Carey and Budweiser were in bed together and, uh, Cub fan, Bud Man, the dynamic duo, the daily double of Bobby Dernier and Ryan Sandberg in 84. So in McDonough, he gave he gave away floppy hats and had a fan convention. That was his idea. But he was heralded for so long as the Messiah for all things Cubs. It kind of fell into his lap, as a lot of stuff did with the Blackhawks. They drafted Kane and Taves. 
And uh, that's a pretty good start. <laughs> the regime prior to Rocky Wirtz already had Duncan Keith in house. <laughs> so uh, let me see. Look, what do we do here? Let, let's put our games on television. There's the stuff. Oh, boy, John McDonough. Look what he's doing with these Hawks. I give him respect for what he did for the Blackhawks, but he is absolutely Johnny on the spot. McDonough. I, I don't have anything for you today is in terms of dissecting what Ryan Poles said when he answered questions earlier this week. I've, I've heard a lot of that in terrestrial and you know, it's all a guessing game. I mean, people trying to get inside of his head based on what he says when he stands at the lectern and talks about the future of his offense and specifically Justin Fields. Do you think he tipped his hand? Do you think he was, you know, relax. There's a long way to go here. It's it's fun because the bears do have an embarrassment of riches with more than a hundred million dollars in salary cap space and the number one pick in the draft and the opportunity to get multiple picks in the draft if he trades down, and that is what he's going to do. I'd be surprised if he doesn't do it that way. Um, that's that that's It's an obvious choice to, to get more picks and move that one, unless, man, you are sold on a quarterback if you want to take one. I think that would be the only thing that would make me feel a little bit irpy about what the Bears could do is if they didn't take a quarterback at number one and rolled dice on one of the best pass rushers, the guy they think that is the best, most damage, damaging pass rusher available. You know, we'll see. A lot of those guys, a lot of those guys haven't lived up to it when they're drafted that high. That doesn't mean that the best kid this year won't, but Look at the guy. Look at the dude in Washington from Ohio State who Ron Rivera. He can't get on the field in his NFL career. He's effective. He just when he's available, but he's not available. And you got to think now, wham, man, if they could do that over, would they do that again? The answer would be no. And I think that's where the Baltimore Ravens are going to find themselves eventually. Congratulations to former Bear Roquan Smith for really the success of his contract this week. Is is great for him. He got more than some of us think he should get. And I'll tell you why in a second, if in case you haven't heard my podcast talking about Roquan Smith. But he gives the middle finger to all of us who thought he was being stupid by not hiring representation. I still haven't wavered too much on that. I still think it's a great idea to 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 get represented so you don't have to listen to them slinging dirt at what you don't do right that's why an agent earns his money he's the buffer and uh but Roquan Smith in the fold for quite a while a 100 million dollar contract i think of the 60 of it i believe i read this morning is what's guaranteed he got a 22 and a half million dollar signing bonus and for what? For being a tackles machine. That's why I draw the line. And I, I hope if Smith goes on to have a tremendous run in Baltimore, Bears fans don't continue to pound this regime for parting ways with him. There already was acrimony with Roquan Smith before Poles ever assumed control of the Bears general manager's chair. He had a contract holdout right out of the chute, if you recall, and didn't even get to training camp to get much work in. I think he was only only there for, what, eight or nine practices before the Bears opened the 2018 season, his first year 
in the league. You uh, you got a great tackler, a guy who has tremendous instincts and tremendous speed, but he doesn't wreck the game enough to make him among the elite paid at his position. For me, you've got to be a turnover creator, and I've gone over this at length on what Smith doesn't do. He doesn't force fumbles. He doesn't intercept passes very often. Yeah, he's around the ball, and he's really damn good at it. I'm not dismissing that. Let me give you an analogy. 20 years old now, but the game is the point is the same, uh, regardless of how the game has evolved over 20 years. When you think of the Tampa Bay Bucks, of John Gruden, the team that's un, you know just completely emasculated the Raiders in the Super Bowl game they played. Who do you think of on that great Raider or that great Buccaneers defense? What are the names that immediately come to mind for you? John Gruden's world champion Buccaneers. You think of Warren Sapp. John Lynch, the hard-hitting safety. You think of Simeon Rice out of Illinois, terrific pass rusher. You think of Rondé Barber, who's played the corner position. Man, just fantastic in his NFL career, especially the first seven or eight years when he was a part of the Buccaneers. Uh, Do you know who led those Buccaneers teams and not just that year, but for several years in tackles? Do you even remember the name Sheldon Quarles? Check him out. His he he was a tackles machine, but he lived in anonymity because he didn't take the ball away and was not a prolific pass rusher. They didn't ask him to be one. And Roquan Smith is not a not a great pass rusher either. He's he's a great football player, but he is not elite at his position, or he would have way more forced fumbles and way more interceptions and sacks he is not disruptive to the degree where you want to pay this guy as much as you're deciding to pay him it's uh i i I just you know i i don't have anything against roquan smith i wish him well i thought he was a terrific player early in his career and was overshadowed by the local media hype machine that wanted to get behind khalil mack when he wasn't the best player on his team for much of his four years in Chicago. I I stand. I don't care what anybody says. Roquan was better a couple of times in those four years. Akeem Hicks was better at what he did. And you also got real good play out of Kyle Fuller for a couple of those years. I don't know if Bears fans recognized how much better he got and how much more reliable he became as his career evolved with the Bears. When Jay Mariotti was in Chicago writing for the Sun-Times, I read him with interest because he is very skilled on a keyboard. He is a wordsmith, and he can put the blade in his target as deftly as any opinion maker in the business. He's a bad guy, I think many who got to know him would say, and uh I don't think I'm talking out of school by Rick Tellender. I saw Rick this past Monday night uh, up at his house in Highwood. We had dinner and watched a little of the national championship game. And that's what, you know, Jay Mariotti was a prick to him. And that's a guy, and Rick doesn't badmouth a lot of people. Mariotti deserves it. And he is, he's, as far as I'm concerned, forgotten, but not gone in Chicago because 
he was so widely disliked, so largely the enemy of Chicago sports fans, even though what he wanted was exactly what you wanted. He wanted to hold the organization's feet to the fire and had high standards for him. And he barbecued uh, guys for things they deserve to be criticized for, frankly. And he did it very, very skilled man, but that doesn't make him any less of a weasel today. He wrote a column and Jay was writing for Jason Barrett's site, Barrett sports media. I don't know if that's where this column, if he's still with Barrett or he's writing for somebody else these days. Uh, but he, he attacks the NFL, Roger Goodell, Troy Vincent. The, he attacks the people at ESPN, of course, for the handling of DeMar Hamlin a week ago, Monday night. And I, I think that he, he is exactly with this piece that assesses blame and attacks the integrity and character of Goodell, NFL execs, ESPN execs. He had a bad go around at ESPN. It didn't work out the way Jay wanted to, so he will he will stoke those flames anytime he gets the opportunity to do so. What he did with this column assassinating everybody's character is is what is wrong, not with sports media specifically. It's what's wrong with America in the way it handles social media, this rush to find a villain over Hamlin's injury and all of it, his cardiac arrest, all the stuff that people criticize the league. You waited too long to make the decision. I guarantee you, guarantee you, half the football players in that game would have liked to have finished it. I guarantee you that. Of course, there was an outpouring of affection for Hamlin. From players, coaches, media, fan, everybody. You don't want to see that ever. That's horrible what happened to Hamlin. But it also was pretty close to unprecedented. Now, you might say, well, it either is or it isn't. There, the details are very sketchy on the former Detroit Lion, Chuck Hughes, who died on a football field in a game against the Bears. It was either in the 60s or early 70s. See, that's I, think I can't even commit that to memory because nobody talks about it, and certainly it wasn't on Monday Night Football because there wasn't Monday Night Football when Chuck Hughes died. I was born later, um, I think 1970, first year of Monday Night Football, but everybody seems to want their pound of flesh in America. They want a villain. They seem to need it. it it's like the existence of a... a pretty good percentage of people on Twitter, not so bad on Facebook, but there too. And I don't do the other, I don't do Instagram. I don't do, I don't watch Twitch or TikTok. I, I don't, you're just reacting for the sake of having a target. You, you feel better about yourself that you can sling mud at somebody because they have dared to compromise the integrity of, they hadn't been through this before. This was Goodell's first time through this. It was ESPN's first time through this, where you had what what appeared to be something that was going to wind up with a fatality in a football game. That's heavy. That, that's not happened before. But we've watched guys get carted off on spine boards, the immobilizer board, and players have compound fractures of the femur where the bone snaps cleanly and pops through the skin. Same thing with ankles, and I've seen one in person when I was coaching freshman football, for Christ's sake, in 1987 at Hammond Gavitt High School. Clearly a compound fracture when I met little Tony Zaragoza in the end zone. Our two-point conversion failed, 
and uh, his ankle is his foot's pointing in the wrong direction. And it was a clear break. And Tony never played football again. And the bad things happen on the field. That's not to diminish Hamlin's problem. I'm not clear. But why do you always have to find somebody you can vilify? That makes a large percentage of people on social media feel good. Maybe it makes them feel like they are of a use. I will represent the high virtues this nation should have, and your insensitivity over a player's potential death is just appalling. Oh, God, save it, Jay. Weasel's weasel. But I read it because the cat can write. He wields the uh, the typewriter in very interesting fashion a lot of the time. So does Jim O'Donnell from the Daily Herald, who hates everything and everybody. Uh, but I read him because he, he really is funny when he takes on a target. And I've been his target. He called me white trash in one of the first things he ever wrote about me. And I don't think it wasn't for the Daily Herald. I, I, it might have been for the Sun-Times. I, I don't know where it was at. But, yeah, you can call me white trash. Is that is that a racist term, by the way? Can you call somebody white trash? Or only if you're white. I don't know how that works. I'm I'm not sure exactly. Um, there was a really cool thing that's that the Arizona Cardinals did for the retiring future Hall of Famer J.J. Watt. Did you catch any of this? It came on HBO's Hard Knocks in-season peak at the Arizona Cardinals in their ninth and final episode of the year. Uh, one of the assistant coaches with the Cardinals thought it would be cool if they produced uh, a short video tribute to Watt that they would show in a meeting room. And they did. And it was full of JJ's family members and his, of course, TJ Watt, his little brother, the outstanding Steelers pass rusher guys. He played against Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, all, you know, wishing him the best and applauding him for his remarkable career. And JJ Watt broke down and cried and it, it was cool. It was cool because he seemed really, really touched by the the messages he was he was getting, and I think that's great. I think that's that's what the game is is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for a mutual respect, and I have had a ton of that for J.J. Watt. His first five seasons as a Houston Texan, beginning right out of the shoot as a first year player in 2011, first round pick out of Wisconsin, he was a stud. His first playoff game, I, I remember it well because I, was, I wasn't I was wearing a jersey for T.J. Yates, the Texans quarterback in that playoff win over the Bengals, but I was, I was watching with interest because I wanted to see the Texans finally do something after their first 10 years of uh, wallowing in the mire in the AFC South. Watt had a monster game in that first season. He intercepted a pass and returned it. 29 yards for a touchdown. He was a terrific pass rusher. He had he had quarterback hits. His quarterback hits in his career are absurd. More than 300 quarterback hits. Uh, 114 and a half sacks. Three times the defensive player of the year. Five seasons as an all-pro. Five Pro Bowl appearances. 2017, J.J. Watt cops the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. A guy who's been very involved in Houston sports. When the Astros got hot, he jumped on board with that. And call me a sucker if you want to, but I do enjoy when a city's sports superstars, you got to say that slowly, lots of S's and T's, um, 
Chuck Swirsky, in case you didn't know. I, I like that. When, when stars from other sports show up to support other teams in town, I think that's cool. And uh, anytime J.J. Watt showed up for an Astros game or uh, whatever, I think that's cool. That He's making himself part of the damn community. There have been a lot of superstars in Chicago who were too cool for the room to do that. They won't go anywhere near the commoners. They don't want anything to do with that. My sport's over. I'm going home. I'm going to go be selfish and be all by myself. I want nothing to do with being a fabric in this community. Well, J.J. Watt was the opposite of that. And I'm happy to say that I was I was among the first locally who noticed how good he was just because I'm a gambler and I'm a fantasy football guy, so I watched a lot of that shit. And J.J. is a first-year player, showed he was versatile on the outside, on the inside. They moved him around on that Texans defensive line and uh they were terrific when he was at the top of his game injuries slowed him he had shoulder surgery i think six or seven games into his first year with the cardinals last year and it was starting to look like it was it was over altogether he had a pretty damn good final season for a 33 year old dinosaur that's that's old in nfl terms that's that's crazy when you think about that you you prepare as a teenager and in college, and at the age of 33, your your resume is complete. You no longer will do what you've been doing your whole life, and now you need to reinvent yourself with so many years ahead of you and find that next chapter of your life. That's, and, and yeah, a lot of us would love to have it, but it, that doesn't mean you have any ability to understand what those guys feel like when the cheering stops. How do you dance when the jukebox isn't playing your song? That's a tough deal for a lot of these guys. A lot of them get real sad over that. You, you live for the cheer of the crowd and the love and affection of your teammates, and that's taken away from you. And, and you hope you're not even halfway through your life. And uh, I, I wish J.J. Watt all the best in the world. I think he's been a, a straight shooter. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He was cool enough to get back to me uh, when I sent him a direct message. Just when Twitter was, was had just started to explode. And before J.J. Watt was a household name, I sent him a, a direct message. I'd love to get you on my show. We'll promote Badger Charities and things you're doing back home and he got back to me and actually said yeah i'll do it but go through our pr guy and gave me the pr guy's email address and that's not why i love him i love him because his motor never stopped he was powerful he was really good with his hands he was really good from a technique standpoint shoulders always square to the line of scrimmage it was really hard to turn him and he played like i said up and down the line so uh, a terrific 12-year career now in the books for J.J. Watt. And if you haven't seen the video tribute and Watt's reaction to it, you, you probably uh, want to do that. It's it's worth your time. Before I get to what I like best for the weekend at the window and the best futures, I wanted to talk briefly, and I'll try to make it briefly, but I, I may get caught in a, my own rabbit hole here and talk about the most impactful football game ever played it happened on this day the 12th of january in 1969 it was super bowl three even though it was the first super bowl that actually was called a super bowl packers won uh what was called the nfl championship in 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 the, the first year and then the next year and then they started calling it the super bowl 
for that Jets upset, the biggest upset in NFL history. It's still regarded as one of the most incredible, improbable outcomes in sports history. The Baltimore Colts, Don Shula, um, already wearing the biking bike shorts like he's a veteran of many years, a young man when he's coaching the Colts. They just blitzed through their regular season. They went 13-1. and one. They were the prohibitive. They were like an 18-and-a-half, 19-point favorite in Super Bowl three, And Joe Namath was celebrity personified. He was Broadway Joe. He sold aftershave. He sold all kinds of products. He did television. He did movies. He had the fur coats and the chains and the sunglasses. A lot of bling for a white kid from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And he sold the damn game of football. He helped turn America's pastime from baseball to football. That game was was significant in getting the American Football League the credibility it had lacked. People didn't regard the AFL as the same quality of play as the NFL, yet they had vied for a championship in in those two years prior to the 69 Super Bowl at the Orange Bowl. It gave legitimacy to the AFL, and the Chiefs did the same the next year when they upset Minnesota 23-7 in Super Bowl IV. That prompted the merger, those two victories. But the the photograph, I, I believe it's in the top three of the century, sports photographs of the, of the 20th, those images that are just frozen in time. Namath walking off the field, at the Orange Bowl with the palm trees in the background and one finger pointing in the air. We're number one. It uh, it was a seminal moment, Vandy, and uh, the National Football League's prominence to becoming America's game, which it has been for decades. Baseball enjoyed that before the ultimate salesman, Joe Willie Namath, changed it. The game was not a great game. You wouldn't love it by today's standards. Those of you who are young, Namath wins MVP without throwing a touchdown pass. (laughs) He didn't run for one either, yet he's the MVP of the game. Jets scored one touchdown. Matt Snell, a short touchdown run, the uh, straight-on kicker coming straight on for you. Jim Turner had three field goals. The Jets' defense dominated the Baltimore Colts. Earl Morrill threw three interceptions. Unitas was pretty much shot by then. Uh, and he was also hurt, but he did come off the bench, and he was he was not much better. I think I saw the last time I did any background on this game, and it wasn't all that long ago, less than a year, probably a year ago today. Um, what was I thinking there? Uh, anyway, um, I, I I will just wrap it up on Super Bowl three by by talking about how only forty one million Americans watched the game that was considered huge in that area. It was broadcast on NBC and uh, it, it, it put the NFL more into public consciousness. It, it really helped the NFL arrive and Namath hugely was responsible. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, whatever you want to say to Super Bowl three. And it's also the anniversary of one of my favorite Super Bowls uh, six years later, when the Steelers beat the Vikings 16-6, to 
on the heels of the passing of Franco Harris. I did want to mention it briefly. He won the MVP award in that game. Uh, Steelers dominated defensively for a decade, and they put their stuff on display in that one. And The first score of the game was a safety. Uh, Vikings quarterback Fran Tarkenton stumbling around in the end zone and he trips and Dwight White touches him up and there you got to get him up. That's your halftime score. Two zip Steelers. Uh, I think Franco ran for 158 yards, which broke the record Larry Zonka had set several years prior. The game was in New Orleans, but it wasn't played at the Superdome. It was supposed to be played there. But uh, as uh, they said in NFL films, with the construction of the Louisiana Superdome incomplete, the game moved to antiquated Tulane Stadium. And that's where the Steelers kicked the shit out of the Vikings. And I loved it. And I was hooked. I was a Steelers guy that season. Had the Letterman's jacket somewhere in a box in the garage to prove it. Playoff weekend. Wild card weekend is here. Starts Saturday. 49ers are a nine and a half point favorite over the Seahawks in Northern California. San Francisco has been a dangerous play as a big favorite. I'm going to take them though. I think they're one of the best bets of the weekend based on the way they've been going and the way Seattle has slowed offensively. And I don't know if Kenneth Walker, the third isn't, isn't completely healthy. If he's reached rookie burnout, they're running back, uh, I need more than Dallas to the player, not the city or team um, for a running game. That's respectable. And Geno Smith as commendable as his season has been same thing for Pete Carroll. Most of us wrote those bitches off in September. They, they have survived and quite well. Thank you. Geno Smith is a comeback player of the year. And uh, I just think he's, he's running out of gas and the 49ers are gaining momentum and Brock Purdy is getting the job done. He was pretty good last weekend. Three touchdown passes, no picks. 5-0 and as a starter. First playoff taste for Brock Purdy. Give me the Niners laying nine and a half. The poor Miami Dolphins fans. And you had your day. So those of you my age or thereabouts, I can't have too much sympathy for you. But you've got no Tua concussions you're likely not going to have teddy bridgewater you got a finger so your quarterback is going to be skylar thompson the 25 year old out of kansas state with two nfl starts on his resume recently threw three picks had one touchdown in his two starts for the dolphins this year that's a tough game for them no way i'm taking the bills laying 13 though they, they'll probably win the game 37 to 6 but I'm not laying 13 in a playoff game. Not not after this year. No thanks. Giants probably will co- – I'm sorry, the Vikings probably will cover the three Sunday afternoon uh, against the Giants, but I ain't going to be on board. That's a low number. It's tempting to take not to take Minnesota. But I, I played them last week. Finally, they, they did something for me. They beat the crap out of the Bears, and I also parlayed them with another matinee or afternoon game later. So thank you, Minnesota. I'm done with you, for, and I'll fade them after they beat the Giants because I do think they'll beat the Giants. One of my better plays this weekend is Cincinnati. I, I think I would call that, not maybe. It's, it is. It's my favorite player of the week. The Bengals have been rolling. The Ravens have not been rolling. Cincinnati will cover the eight and a half at home against Baltimore, which I think has seen its last games 
of Lamar Jackson in a Ravens uniform. He's not going to play. At least he's not expected to play. And he wants a new contract. And he wants one of the biggest contracts in NFL history. And he's not going to get it. He's not going to get it from them. And I don't blame them for not giving it to him. He already has been injury prone. He's a terrific running quarterback. Bears fans take note of this. They become less effective after three or four years of getting their eggs scrambled every Sunday afternoon. That's not easy being a running quarterback. Your shelf life is a short one. That's reality. He's never been a prolific passer. He improved as a passing quarterback. Lamar Jackson, I'm talking about. And uh, it's it's not you know, $200 million? Are you effing kidding me? How do the Cardinals feel about their deal with Kyler Murray? How do a lot of other teams feel about their quarterbacks who signed long-term contracts? You think the Rams didn't regret the Jared Goff deal a year after they made it? And now he's rebounded nicely, and he had a terrific year with the Lions this year. I don't think he threw a pick the last half of the season. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not for me, those Baltimore Ravens. Give me the Bengals minus eight and a half. Where is Tom Brady going to play next year? That's a story I'm not ready to do yet. He's got a playoff game this week. They're dogs against Dallas in Tampa. I doubt I'll play the game because I don't trust either team. It is hard not to take Brady over Dak in that one, but uh, I've seen enough of the Buccaneers this year, and I I don't trust the Cowboys on the road as a favorite. I, I, I will lay off then. So I'm a 49ers guy. Let me wrap it up with some Super Bowl future, some props. I'm believing in the 49ers. Part of the reason I, I am bullish on San Francisco, it's hugely a part of it. I don't think we'll see a healthy Jalen Hurts this postseason. He wasn't real comfortable when he returned this past week. He is at his best when he's a running threat. And his shoulder's bad, too. What does that do to his passing? He admitted it was uncomfortable afterward. You want to see uncomfortable? Come for a playoff game. And that's 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 how it goes when you're not healthy. And the 49ers have a daunting defense. Eagles have injuries on the offensive line. You got to get three all pros, three all pros on the Eagles offensive line announced this week. They're not healthy right now. Those guys are great players. They're not, they're not right. And the Eagles have not run the ball in the absence of Jalen Hurts the way they were expected to. I'm bullish on the 49ers. If I like the 49ers the most, then why not play them to win Super Bowl 57? even though that's a different animal than getting out of the NFC. There's three great teams in the AFC. You know who they are. I am with San Francisco more than any team because of the Eagles not being trustworthy right now with injuries and because it could be any one of the three AFC teams. It it could be the Chiefs. It could be the Bengals. It could be the Bills. So if I'm that insistent on San Francisco, here's one for you. If I pick it today at Bet Rivers, if you if you like this one, and I do, the 49ers beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl pays 14 to 1. Those odds will drop after this weekend when everybody gets a taste of Brock Purdy. 14 to 1. 49ers over the Chiefs. I like that a lot. Uh, 
Brock Purdy, by the way, is 10 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. So apparently some people who, other than me are liking the 49ers' chances. And I think a lot of it on Burrow being longer odds than Purdy is because Burrow has a tougher road to Super Bowl 57. The Bengals are probably going to have to play – well, they are going to have to play on the road against the Chiefs or the Bills if that wound up being the NFC title game, or even if it's not. You play either of those teams, you do it on the road. I think the the Niners are a terrific play. I also like the the Bengals for return on investment. And I've been on this since the first week of the season because the defending AFC champs weren't getting any any respect. I think they were 22 to one. Was it, was it the Bengals who were 22 to one to win the Super Bowl or Burrow 22 to one to win MVP, the defending MVP? It was one of the two. Maybe it was both, but they weren't among the favorites. And I thought that was questionable. And it started badly for the Bengals. 13 sacks of Burrow in the first two weeks. But man, are they rolling right now? And I think their running game is capable of salting away wins once Broadway Broadway Joe Burrow, uh, I don't know, what would you call him? Uh, there's no Broadway in Cincinnati. Maybe there's a Broadway in Cincinnati. Uh, Ohio River Joe? Is that what it is? We're going to go with a geographical location. Joe Burrow has been great, and I, I like the Bengals as a long shot. If it's Bengals over San Francisco, that pays 25 to 1 today. Bengals over the Niners, 25 to 1. So I ought to bet them both ways. Huh? If I'm that insistent, it's going to be the 49ers. Well, you bet them as a winner over the Chiefs at 14 to 1, as I mentioned, and you also bet them as a 25 to 1 dog. Or you bet the Bengals over the Niners as a 25 to 1 play because odds are good on Cincinnati. Like it a lot. I'm I'm not on board with the Bills, even though their running game has improved and they did what I asked them to do. They got some help for their quarterback. Tevin Singletary had a much better second half of the season than he did in the first half. Naheem Hines as a kick returner proved to be special last week. It's a lot to like about that team. But uh, I, I just think the Chiefs are a better all-around team and have a, a more prolific passing quarterback. I like Josh Allen. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to take Mahomes every time versus Josh Allen. I don't care what the history is. Same thing with the Chiefs' inability to get past Cincinnati. You think Burrow's better than Mahomes? Would you rather have Burrow? I'm not criticizing you if you are. I think most of us would take Mahomes as much as Joe Burrow is, is a kick-ass player. Smirky Joe. Would you like Joe Burrow if he were t- your team's quarterback? You like that young, flashy arrogance? I do, too. Uh, your quarterback should be cocky and full of arrogance and never waver, never have self-doubt. Joe Burrow right now is walking tall in Cincinnati. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank Adam Delavitt. Thanks, Adam Delavitt. Baby Capone for letting me do this twice a week. I'll try it next on Monday morning after Super Wild Card Weekend. Minus the Monday Nighter. Sam Michael is my producer. He is on vacation, but he remains working. That's not right. He should ask for double time. Dell, Baby Capone, whip up some time and a half for Samala. He's trying to relax and enjoy Disney World or Disneyland or whatever it is he does when he's not here. Talk to you on Monday. I'm Mac. Goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.